back to another episode of Content Lab. I am Liz Moorhead, Director of Content here at Impact. And as always, I am joined by my buddy, my other half, the guy who keeps me grounded when I have crazy ideas, John Becker, Revenue and Features Editor. I know this is a loaded question and just to kind of break the fourth wall, because you're already laughing, because we were laughing going into this recording. So today is what, January 7th, is that correct? Yep. Um, so we're a little less than 24 hours after the, you know, light dabbling in the coup d'etat yesterday. So how are you doing? <laughs> you know, it was it, yesterday was a was a strange day, you know, a sad day, an emotional day, um, a confusing day. And, um, you know, I, I tried my best to make sense of it and to compartmentalize it and kind of do my work. And I I don't know. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. And I know for you, that's your hometown. Yeah. So, oh, I guess for those who are listening, I don't know whether I've talked about it at all recently, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a Washington DC native. We actually do exist. Um, and it was very hard to watch it yesterday. It, it was so funny too. We were, I mean, I say funny in the kind of gallows humor way of, of funny. Um, it's hard to watch a city that that is my whole heart get ripped apart that way. Um, it was particularly scary because I, I did know some people who who work for the press, um, who cover the congressional beat. Um, and they were all safe, but it, it was scary getting some of those text messages because, rightfully and understandably, so they were they were scared. Um, so it, it was this weird thing where a couple of us were talking yesterday while we were being present in our all-day management team meeting, which we needed to be present in. Um, and we were of this split mind, you know? We knew that we had to be present. We knew that the world could not stop. But at the same time, we were all processing, I, God, I'm looking forward to precedented times again. That would be... You know, I, it feels like is I have enjoyed my seven day free trial of 2021. I would like to discontinue the subscription. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think violence, you know, is, is never the answer. And, and um, or I, I think that's true. But there, there's something that feels different about what happened yesterday. Obviously, there, there's symbolism to it, but like, I feel like you see someone like smash open a target or something and the the capital is, is such a, it feels like a sacred and reverential space. And I know that it belongs to the people and, and there's, um, I think that's more than just lip service. That that's a, that's a legitimate truth about our government, but to see it desecrated so uh, shamefully and violently and um, like gleefully was the hardest for me to watch, to see people cowering and running and scared. Um, yeah, mobs are scary things. Yeah, and I, and I wanna be very clear when I'm talking about this, um, and this is something I, I've spoken about personally with friends, is that one of my favorite things about growing up in Washington, DC is that it really taught me at a very early age how to, number one, be able to hold two thoughts in my head <laughs> that may seem conflicting, but also most importantly, um, that healthy disagreeing discourse is important 
So I just want to be clear to all of those listening. I, I'm sharing my experiences right now with no presumption that people agree with me. I Honestly, I, I don't think it really matters how you voted. I think all of us experienced a traumatic event. Um, and that's something I miss. Like some of my favorite memories in Washington were the debates. Like it used to be that everybody from both sides would get together. Um, I remember specifically um, in 2008, going to uh, a bar called Capital Lounge and like Republicans, Democrats, independents, everybody was there, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of like a, like a football game <laughs> in that like you had your big rival, but everybody was there and it was kind of, there was a bit more of a camaraderie to it. Um, and so I just want to be very clear that when, when I'm sharing our, my experience right now, the, this isn't me seeking or looking to give or looking to find like-minded people. I, I think, you know, healthy opposition is, is the sign of a healthy democracy. Um, that was just a lot. And there is something that I wanted to share that Marcus Sheridan, who is one of uh, the owners here at Impact, really, it really kind of encapsulated how I was feeling. So, um, so here I sit audibly sighing as the clock says 7.18 a.m. I'm looking at my calendar for the day, 10 appointments, leadership meetings, AV checks for virtual events, mastermind group, and on and on. The meetings don't matter yet at the same time in comparison, or the meetings matter yet at the same time in comparison with all that is happening in the world, they don't. Yep, my, yep I feel it, my sense is you feel it, and most of our friends, families, and fellow team members feel it too, so let's just start there. You, me, we are not alone in dealing with frustration, anger, confusion, sadness, and whatever else you may be experiencing today. Yet in the midst of this, I recognize the truth as well. I want to be my best self. I want to bring value to my company, my peers, my family, and my world. But I ain't gonna lie, today is gonna be a challenge. Notwithstanding, it's also days like this that can in an on way define how we handle stress in the future. Do we continue to go down the negative news rabbit hole or do we take a step back and do our part to get this world back on track? Frankly, I'm not in any, I'm not in a place to judge anyone for whichever road they take, but this much I am aware of. I will be happier at the end of this day if I focus on my own circle of influence. Um, I thought I, it was really good to read that this morning because I think, again, kind of going back to that point of like being able to hold two thoughts in your head, you know, you, you can process trauma and grief and react to what is happening in the world, but how much... I don't know whether it's you let it consume you. John, you know the word I'm trying to find here or what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think I do, yeah. Yeah, so I want to at least acknowledge the moment that we're in right now. I think that's really important. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our coworkers, quite frankly, to everybody here who is listening that fundamentally at the end of the day, or not at the end of the day, uh, fundamentally, we need to get up every morning and, and still be able to function, to do our jobs, to do it well. Um, I don't know if you had any other thoughts to share before we try to make the most of this episode and talk about what we wanted to talk about. <laughs> no, I think you said it. It's um, it's difficult, but that's the work of being, you know, being an adult, being someone who can um, understand as much as they can, process as much as they can while still like being good for the people around us. Absolutely. Um, and so with that, with the subtlety of a drunk polar bear on roller skates in a china shop, 
John, let's talk about talking about competitors in our content today. And I know this was something that you want to talk about today uh, in light of an article that you wrote, which is called 30-Day Website Redesign, Six Questions to Ask an Agency That's Making Big Promises. So why don't you set the table a little bit for what we're going to be talking about today and where this article came from? Absolutely. So this is, um, you know, we're kind of laying things bare and and being uh, honest, as I think we often are on this podcast. And we meet, Liz and I meet with our sales team every other week to brainstorm content ideas that come directly from things that our sales reps are hearing in conversations with customers and potential customers. And one of the services that we provide at Impact is website redesign. It's a process that I think we do well. I think we have continually tweaked the, how we deliver website redesigns and, and made them better. Um, more responsive, more uh, data-driven. And we learned from sales that a a company, another agency that um, is similar to us in some respects, has been uh, offering this sort of unique model, which in some ways is is really exciting, where they, they offer a complete website redesign in 30 days. And typically a website redesign is something that that's going to be measured in months, not in days. You know, it's going to take three or four or five months, depending on the size of the site, depending on a host of factors. But this other uh, this other company essentially says, we're going to put our entire team, entire team at your disposal. There's no reason to go slow. We're going to speed through it. And you can get a new website in, in 30 days. All the content written, uh, even down to like email marketing campaigns planned. Uh, there's it's just big promises. Um, and I, I'm sure there are some customers who come out of that uh, really happy, some who come out less happy. Um, but it was something that our sales people were hearing that our services were put up next to or put up against. Um, and they had asked for a piece of content that dove into the particulars of what a company should ask if they are in the position to consider that sort of ultra accelerated website redesign. So that's kind of the stage. That's where we all started. You know, first, I remember when we were in that conversation with the sales team and some, and they mentioned the 30 day website redesign. And I started thinking back to all of the website projects I had ever been the lead copywriter for. I'm like, 30 days for a website, it sometimes takes me like 30 days to like wrangle all the people I need to, to get the, what, what are you talking about? Like, I think that was what struck me the most is that, you know, I think it's true whenever we hear that just as consumers, like, this sounds amazing. And then within about 30 seconds, I'm like, wait a minute, why does that Mercedes cost $1? (laughs) What is it? Right, right. And the, the sort of the, the hackles go up and our, our suspicions arise as we are, as we adjust after hearing something that sounds just way too good to be true or, or just, it, it's such an outlier. If, if all the other agencies are saying this process takes months and then one agency is, is saying this process takes, you know, days, um, how do you as a consumer make sense of that? Like, how do you trust, uh, how do you know to write the have, ask the right questions, so that was kind of where we started from, and that's what gave me um, 
you know, I started coming up with ideas in my head about exactly how we should approach this. This isn't, we didn't want to go and like call out this competitor and say, this, this is a terrible idea. It doesn't work. Um, because that, that doesn't really serve anyone. And that, that ultimately, um, I think just misses the mark for what this sort of piece of content should do. Um, and so we went about it a different way. Yeah, I want to interject here really quickly. I apologize for interrupting. Well, I 50% apologize. You know, you know, it's always a 50% apology. Um, I want to take a step back here for a moment before we start diving into the nitty gritty details, because what you just said there sparked something that I think is really important. Um, when I think about the types of content, you know, we talk a lot about the quote, the big five. Um, if you aren't familiar with the big five, essentially they are the content category topics that tend to be tied with driving the most revenue, closing the most deals faster. And one of those, quite frankly, is talking about your competition. And what you said there was really important. Like, you know, like we know we need to talk about competition just the way we need to know, know we need to talk about like how much things cost, but it's awkward and we're never 100% sure how to do it. Like we saw that, we saw this, we started hearing about this 30 day website thing where this company is closing deals that are hundred thousand plus dollar deals. And we're just like, what is happening? And you can't, we couldn't just sit there and be like, whatever hexagon five agency is telling you, you can't like that. You need to take a step back because not only is that something where it's not helpful, it's not rooted in a place of actual true education, which is what trustworthy content is all about. So I just wanted to, before you started diving into the nitty gritty, I thought it was important to a establish the fact that if you're not already writing about your competition, you absolutely must be listening to this, this podcast episode right now. Because one thing I hope we cover today is why it's so essential to talk about our competition in a healthy and educational way. Um, and number two, if you're someone who knows that you need to be talking about your competition, this is an absolutely essential listen because this is really talking about, well, how do you do it? Like, how do you do it when you see something across the fence and you know you need to address it and you know you need to address it in an authentic, transparent and, and very direct educational way? without looking like a girl who got dumped or someone who's talking shit about somebody, somebody else's back in high school, you know? Yeah. So right. with that all being right. said, John, back to you. No, I, I mean, I think that's exactly right because you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be skeptical of a review of Pepsi written by Coke. Like, like if you know that the person who's writing it has a vested interest in the alternative to whatever you're describing, then a reader is going to be skeptical. And, and so what I tried to do in this piece was, was a couple of things. And you helped me shape this, especially the beginning. Um, and, and just to, to really, really make it about the customer. Uh, that if you are a customer in the process of getting a website redesigned in this case, but it could be anything, you are likely overwhelmed by options. Like you don't really know how long a I don't know, website redesigner in this example, but it could be anything. How long it takes, how much it should cost, what are the problems with it, what are the questions you should be asking for everything. It's you know, it's like the old saying about doctors, like if if, if a doctor comes in and performs a surgery, they might have done it a hundred thousand times before, but for that patient, it's the first time. And the doctor has to like find that balance between I've done this enough times that I'm really comfortable, but I'm not gonna think about 
this patient as just another number because it's the only appendectomy that they're ever going to get. So I better, you know, have the right bedside manner. Mm -hmm. So the way I approached this piece was essentially um, first being being really transparent and and I lead or not lead, but I, I pretty early on have a, a section that's says literally like full transparency, we make websites. You know, this is something that we do. Um, this is who we are. It's a service we offer. We think we're good at it. Um, we know we're not the only good option out there. Uh, and that's really important. And that kind of, to me, lays a kind of groundwork of, of transparency. Like we're, we're not trying to hide anything. My name is on this piece. It's on our blog. Like we're, we're owning up to the stake that we have in this. But then the structure of the piece and really the meat of the piece is just about six questions you should ask of, a, of a, an agency that's plan, promising a 30-day website redesign. That was one of my favorite approaches that you took with this article. So, and this is something I want to take a step back and point out as well. So whenever you see something across on the other side of the fence, where you want to point at that thing and point out all the things that are wrong with it. Look, whenever my parents would sit there and list out all the reasons I shouldn't do something, guess what I'm immediately doing? Turning my brain off. And I thought this was a really powerful technique that you leveraged where yes, you introduce healthy skepticism, but the point of the article is not to debunk the 30 day website redesign itself. The point of the article is to, because the reality is, is we actually don't know how the process works, but we want to make sure that what we are actually, our goal is to give more ownership and control to the reader. And that's what you really should be focusing on. It may not always be this kind of literal translation where you're giving them questions to ask another vendor if they encounter X, Y, or Z. But what you did here and what is a great technique for anybody struggling to write about competitors is to give them essentially and say like, we're gonna give you all the information, but we're actually not telling you what the answer is. Instead, we're going to give you the question you should ask, why you should ask it, and what you should be looking for in that answer. And that is a really great way to be a teacher. Well, it goes back to what you were saying, interestingly, at the very beginning, Liz, that like you can be on opposite sides of the fence, as you said, and mm -hmm. not be like enemies. You can be competitors without being enemies. And I think we can like vilify our competitors at times and think like they're terrible people doing awful things. And probably not. They're probably good people doing good work who have a different you know, a different business, a different model. And it's something that Marcus Sheridan talks about in, in They Ask You Answer, where he was originally a, a pool installer and his company did fiberglass pools. And um, most pools, it seems, from the little I know, having never bought one myself, uh, the pools are either like made of fiberglass or made of concrete. And a company usually does one or the other. And he wrote articles that essentially said like, here are the pros and cons of fiberglass, what we do. Here are the pros and cons of concrete, what we don't do. And that sort of honesty is, I think, essential for writing about competition because the reality is the 30-day website might be a great fit for some businesses. I don't know. I, I don't know every business out there. I don't know exactly, as you said, what the process is. 
But if I can arm people with questions to ask and they ask them and then they like the answers, then maybe they move forward. If they don't like the answers, then we've given them the, the education that allows them to make an informed choice, which is you know the fundamentals of content marketing and inform your audience, be a teacher. You know, that's, that's what I love about writing about your competition. And I've actually found one of the things that I, I personally, it, it, I didn't expect this to be a parallel, but one of the things I really worked on personally last year after going through some periods of what we'll just put in very heavy quotation marks growth um, is that if I felt uncomfortable talking about something that was assigned to me that I needed to talk about it. You know, the more uncomfortable, the more important it is, I'd probably get it out in the open. And I've noticed the same thing is true with our content. You know, the more, the more you write about things and create content about things that make you uncomfortable, the more you are able to do things like own a part of the conversation that you might not otherwise have owned in the first place go into territory that your buyers are desperately seeking information about that your competitors are also just still a little bit gun shy to talk about. There was a great, somebody said something great yesterday during um, our meeting. And it's something that really is just resonating with this conversation, which is consistently, if you do things that are hard, life will be easy. If you always do things that are easy, life will be hard. And that is no more true. That is incredibly true when it comes to content, especially when it talks about your competitors. Now, like we've been talking about already, there is kind of an art and you really have to approach it with the backbone of a teacher. What is actually purposeful? What is something that will actually not provide value? You know, I hate that phrase, but you know, the the thing that's actually going to make it make a difference, make someone feel like, wow, I can make a smarter decision now. Like that's ultimately the goal. When we were talking about um, this episode before we started, you sent me an article from our colleague, uh, Kevin Phillips, and he uh, just directly addressing how to write about competition. And we'll link this in the show notes, but he uses this example from uh, one of our clients, Aquila Commercial, who's a, a real estate firm in Austin, Texas. And you, I, I love the idea of approaching it as a teacher. And this comes from Marcus and, and Akila does this really well in this excerpt that Kevin includes where they say, you know, there are a lot of commercial real estate firms in Austin. Here are some of the best ones. And the idea that, that, that they immediately inhabit the emotional space of their customer is, is like, is, is just so essential. Like there's immediately a connection made because as we said, again, if you, as we said before, if you are in the process of hiring a commercial real estate firm firm or redesigning your website, you are a buyer who's probably not in a very comfortable space. You don't know a lot about the process. You're talking to people who have a lot of insider knowledge. And if someone's going to reach out to you and say, here, Here's some helpful, uh, you know, some questions to ask, some phone numbers to call, some um, firms to consider. You're immediately thankful. You're immediately receptive. And that's the kind of content that wins people over. Even if they don't, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They read that article and then still buy the 30-day website or 
still go to a competitor uh, for your commercial real estate business. Maybe that's the worst that can happen, but they'll at least have a positive impression of you and your brand, um, which is ultimately invaluable. So John, I wanna ask you in your professional opinion, um, you know, if I were someone who was either, like I said at the beginning, having not written con competition content before, someone who really struggles with it or to do it well, what would you say are the no-nos of writing competition content? Because at this point you've done quite a bit. Um, and I've always been really impressed at your ability to provide competition con or create competition-based content that is, it doesn't pull its punches, but you never feel like you're getting beaten over the head with a biased opinion. <laughs> which is a very difficult line to walk. I think it, it, it comes down to a lot of what we've said of, of thinking like a teacher, of not being like petty. It's just like when you write, we talk a lot about the 80-20 rule where your content should be 80% informative and 20% and promotional. Like, like you don't wanna go for the hard sell. You don't wanna, um, you know, go for the, unfair dig at your at your competition. I, I think you admit where you're coming from. You keep the the reader in mind and, and um, you inhabit their emotional space as much as you can. Um, and you know, stay honest. Like think about what you would if you were reading someone else writing about you or writing about your business, what would you what would you read and be like, okay, yeah, that's fair. Or what would you think man, that was, that's a, that's a cheap shot. That's a, they're uninformed or they're, you know, gossipy or they're, they're whatever they are that would leave like a, a negative impression in your mouth. Like you have to realize that the people you're writing about are going to read it too. And how do they, how do you write it in such a way that you can inform the buyer and not be offensive? So, when we think about competition content, it sounds like it, there are essentially two types. There's the type where you're looking at something on the other side of the fence and you disagree with it or you want to provide an alternative view, which is essentially the camp that the article we're talking about today uh, that you wrote with the 30-day website redesign. And then there is the other type where it's a little bit more traditional where it's like maybe you're talking about the five the five best, I don't know, we, we've done this before, the top 13 inbound marketing and HubSpot agencies. You know, so there, there's, it's not necessarily positive versus negative, but I would say there is spotlight versus contradiction. Let's put it that way. Yeah, nicely put. Um, one of the things I always recommend, and it's very challenging, it's hard to do, not necessarily in practice because it's omission, but you, you always feel like you want to put it in there which is you always want to put yourself on the best of list. And you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, it's kind of like just awarding yourself something and you're like, okay. Um, Cause imagine how pat we in it, I'll put in our show notes, the link to the article that we did about top inbound marketing agencies. And, and if you've read, they ask you answer. Uh, Marcus also has a story about this, which I'll tell in just a moment, but essentially imagine the kind of trust that gets eroded when you immediately put yourself on the list. <laughs> like that's, that's just hilarious. Like it's, it's not going to work. So that's one of my number one don'ts. If you're doing a list of like the best vendors in your area, number one, 
there's always that fear of, well, what if I'm not on the list? It's like, well, um, they're on your website. And if you frame the introduction correctly, which is like, for example, what we did, I'm paraphrasing, you know, we're one of the top award-winning HubSpot marketing agencies. So when we have a lot of conversations with prospects, you know, we do often get asked, you know, what are other agencies in our space that we should be looking at? This is a question we get asked all the time because we're really good in marketing agency. So we just thought we'd share because we know not every agency is for everybody, but these are some of the best. And so you automatically contextualize that, hi, we are also a part of the conversation. And again, everybody, they are on your website. And right. Marcus has this great story about how they did an article for his company, River, his other company, River Pools and Spas, where they were talking about like the best pool builders in like a particular geographic region. Um, and this woman landed on it organically, looked at the list and thought to herself, wow, they wrote this list and didn't put themselves on it and ended up choosing to do business with them. <laughs> like, it's just kind of like, it's the same principle of like, I know you want to end that article with a call to action. That's like, and by the way, if you need help with your marketing, come and come and talk to us. They're literally on your website, which is covered with things like services, a CTA at the bottom, like crap everywhere that says like, buy from us, let the piece of content do its job. Right. It's like a pickup line, like a cheesy pickup line at a bar. Like What's if you're at a point where you done? feel like you need, you need to use it. <laughs> then it's probably not going to work anyway. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me, but so that really interests me, Liz, because like, it's hard to talk flatteringly about the businesses you're competing against. Like if you're making a list of the top inbound agencies, like how do you, how do you write in such a way that you're not just as, as, you alluded to just driving them to driving your visitors to these, like if you're, how do you honestly discuss competition, both like pros and cons, or do you focus more on one than the other? How do you do that? So there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. Number one, you can't walk around acting as if they're not going to find your competition. They're, they're going to find them. That's the thing. If you don't write about your competition, they're still going to go out there and search for them. So you always want to think about it from the perspective of, do you want to be the one who owns the conversation? Yes or no. So there's that piece of it. It's all about your mindset and how you're really going into this and approaching it. Number two, even though whether we're talking about our industry, which is agencies, or if we're talking about your particular industry, whatever it is that you're in, not every single vendor or competitor is exactly the same. There are niches. For example, there are some, like, I have friends who work at other agencies. My friend, Jesse Lee, who used to be a co-host with me of the Creators Block podcast for Impact many, many moons ago. She's the creative director at Loan for Creative, which is a really great small boutique agency, which means they're probably not a good fit for the more on the large side of the SMBs, right? You have agencies that work really well in healthcare or in specific areas. Uh, we're not the only agency that wins awards. They may have specialty areas, or if you don't know too much about them, just share the basic information. Like this is where they're from. This is what they do. Yeah, they've won awards. They've been around for a really long time. 
they're well-respected because sometimes people might pick things for completely different ideas. Maybe they see that one of the people on that list is from Cleveland, Ohio, and they're from Cleveland, Ohio. Great. They want to be with people who are like them and that's fine. You know, you don't have to sit there and suddenly write a novel and say, like, be an authority on every single competitor. Just provide the information. They can go research them themselves. Provide a little color, color commentary. Don't backhand compliment them. Be honest and just get on with your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's good advice. That's the funny stuff about like, whether you're talking about this or cost, like people act as if like, well, what if they find out? It's like, and like, they're gonna find out. You know, at, at the at worst, you are having people self-select out who would have been bad fits to begin with. Right. That's like the worst case scenario, which means the worst case scenario is your salespeople are dealing with fewer leads, but the leads they're getting are more qualified. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's just needs to like chill out. I mean, I, I think if, if, at any time right now in history, this would be the best time to be focusing on this kind of self-selecting content because, uh, all of us don't have time to be wasting time on things that don't work or people who are bad fits. Like now more than yeah. ever, like every dollar needs to count. Every second needs to count. Everything needs to be as efficient as possible. So why waste time on people who are just not a good fit for you and your services? And I, I think all of it, all of it is always underscored for me by that, like that central tenet of they ask you answer, which is approach it with a teacher's mindset. Marcus is, so clear about you should talk about pros and cons of what you offer. You should talk about who you're a good fit for, who you're a bad fit for. You should talk openly about costs and you should talk openly about problems and drawbacks and comparisons. Like, like the idea that your buyer wants to feel heard and recognized in what you write and, and nobody likes a showboat, nobody likes a boaster, nobody likes the, the sort of detractor who's going to tell you about how everybody else is not as good as they are. And, you know, if you, if you're sort of a jerk in your content, it, it's the opposite of, of what you should be trying to do. It reminds me of a really terrible analogy I made many, many moons ago on one of our podcast episodes. Like if you wouldn't date your piece of content or hold a conversation with it, like it's not something worth publishing. Like if your content is the, is, or if your content is the content equivalent of this guy I dated in my twenties named Logan, who literally talked about himself, talked shit about everybody else, uh, didn't really let me get a word in edgewise and just basically was telling me about how great they were. Like guess who didn't get a second date? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Logan, right. I am so sorry. My hamster needs a blowout. I've got to do like my taxes for my second aunt 15 times removed. I got a lot going on. Not yeah, I think <laughs> we're always skeptical about, about people who, like if you're talking about how great you are. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Except I'm, for I'm me because I am great. Word. Right, of course. That, yeah, there's an exception. Like, if we were, I think the only exception to this rule is like if we were doing a list of like the best content podcasts. I mean, I would feel like I was not being a good teacher right. if all ten of them weren't content lab. End of list. Yeah. End of list. Yeah. Like, there's. Why go further? Why go anywhere else? 
Okay. So let's wrap this up. Let's bring this all home. So if, whether you're talking to someone who's scared to write about competitors or someone who is writing about competition, what's that one piece of advice that you would give them? I think just imagine what your customer would find useful. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they were, if you were in that position of making a, making a purchase that was unfamiliar to you, the information that you would find useful that, that, that takes you one step beyond Google my business or Yelp reviews or, or something like that. Something that's going to feel informed, unbiased and, um, and thorough is going to be what's, what will be helpful for the person reading it. And if you keep that as your central tenet, then you're going in the right direction. How about you? I think after the no-nos we discussed of like being a braggart or being petty or being completely unprofessional, the only real mistake you can make is not to do it. Hmm. That's the big piece of advice for me. It's like, you got to do this. And if you're sitting there going, well, I know I need to write about competition, but I'm not sure where to start. Well, let me just dust off my favorite piece of advice. Go talk to your sales team. What competition content would help them close more deals faster? Because I guarantee you, like, for example, if you sell a SaaS product, okay. So what are the top SaaS products that they get asked about? So tell me how you're different than blank. Like ask them what those questions are. Sit down and have a brainstorm because I will tell you the answers for them do not change. And if they had that piece of content at their disposal where they can give it as a piece of homework in advance, you are automatically arming your sales team to have more valuable conversations faster. And that is a huge, huge thing. But again, the only mistake you make with content, uh, competition content aside from like being a butthead is to not do it. Can you teach us something in John Becker's Learning Corner? Welcome to the corner, Liz. So I wanted to uh, clear up a couple, actually three homonyms Uh-oh. that, uh, that are, are are. It's I don't know if it's a grievance. It's a it's a it's a PSA. Um, homonyms, of course, are, are homonyms are, are words that uh, sound the same but have different meanings and different spellings. And that, that literally just means they're different words. So I wanted to come up uh, uh, three pairs that I, I don't know, I, I just see people do wrong a lot and I wanted to uh, share them. So the first is there are, there are two words for uh, compliment. Mm-hmm. One is compliment, and we'll put these in the show notes with an I, C-O-M-P-L-I, compliment, which is an expression of praise. Like, you know, thanks for the compliment about my, my socks. Um, there's also, well, I get those a lot. There's also a compliment. I'm saying it a little bit differently, but it kind of sounds the same. So C-O-M-P-L-E, compliment. Um, and that's something that completes or brings to perfection. Like we'll say like the, 
you know, the wine was the perfect complement to the meal. So the wine is like a beer I had last night. I had a harpoon Dunkin' Donuts Porter was a fantastic uh, insurrection pairing, a great compliment to my (laughs) viewing of CNN last night. Yes. Uh, So they're not, that's not giving you a compliment, like paying you a, you know, praise. It's, it's complete. Perfect compliment to this. Yes. Yeah. Second principle and principle. So there are principles with a PLE that is like a core belief or a basis for conduct. Like we talk about a guiding principle. Um, But there's also principle with P-A-L at the end, uh, which means the foremost or like the most important, like our principal focus is this or our, you know, the, the, there's also principle when it comes to investment. Um, So different words, different meanings, different spellings. The way I always remember that one is that like we had also high school or school principals. And I had one who used to say, I put the pal in principle. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but it helps me remember the difference. Absolutely. Of belief. Like one of my core principles is that like napping is a lifestyle choice. Like that is napping is a, is a, is a core principle and belief system. And so napping, napping could take a principle part of your, could be a principal part of your day. Mm-hmm. And also napping is a principle. Um, and the third is, I don't even know if people really know that these are different words, but discrete and discrete. I think like most people think that there is the word discrete, like you are careful in your speech or action. Um, you know, like, please be discreet about this information. Don't, don't share it with anyone. That's C-R-E-E-T, discrete. Um, but there's another word, discrete, C-R-E-T-E, which means individual and distinct. So you can have like discrete categories. That doesn't mean those categories are like keeping secrets. It means they are different from each other. And both words come from the same Latin root, but they mean totally different things. They're spelled differently. And um, I think the discrete categories is actually a a pretty useful word to use, Um, but we often maybe don't even know that it exists or overlook it or confuse it with discrete, like don't share this with anyone. Um, so those are three pairings that I come across or, you know, I always like make sure to keep straight in my use. Um, and when you do it right, you look smart. And when you do it wrong, you look like you don't know what's going on. My favorite one, um, <laughs> another one that I've actually seen confused from time to time is foul versus foul. So there's foul, F-O-U-L, which is like stinky or gross or, or not, it's undesirable. And then there's foul, which is like poultry and ducks and, and, and birds. But I remember reading something once where somebody wrote murder most foul, but they used the latter F-O-U-L. And I'm like, so is, is the murder a duck? Is it, is it Colonel Mustard in the conservatory with a mallard? Like, what, what happened here? Um, I, re- I remember also reading, there's also, you know, allowed as in out loud and then allowed as in permitted or, you know, you can do something, you're allowed to do it. And that one gets mixed up also to comic ends, you know, like they're not allowed to, but it's out loud, not the other one. So or until- know your words, people. 
Be smart. Until you meet again, but meet like a steak. <laughs> there you go. Until we hot dog again. <laughs> All right. So Liz, what are you, uh, what are you reading? Uh, so I thought I, I'm reading a couple of books right now. Um, and with all of the events over the past 24 hours, I'll be honest, I just really needed a laugh today. So where do we turn, John, whenever we need a laugh? Because we're, I don't know, hipsters, elites, whatever it is that we are. The New Yorker. The New Yorker. The New Yorker. So today's, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do a little dramatic reading. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I'll include the link in the show notes, but quarantine day 299. A running list of apologies to everyone I've ever wronged. And to be honest, I relate to a few of these. That subtitle is mine, not of the article. To the guy I dated for eight months, but refused to call my boyfriend. I know it's too late, but thank you for all the frittatas you made for me. I will never forget them. To the FedEx guy for hiding my packages and or package in the bushes so well. I hope you hide all my packages in future. It's a fun game we play. I understand that now. To my childhood friend for losing touch after kindergarten. It's just, you were a crayon person and I'm a Sharpie girl. Those differences only grow more glaring over time. <laughs> to my dermatologist, I'm sorry for saying that your degree didn't count after you told me there was something we could there is something we could do about my crow's feet. Online medical schools have come a long way. <laughs> to everyone who I went to high school with who has a baby now and heard me suggest that owning a dog is basically the same thing, it's not, and I'm sorry. <laughs> my last one, the last one I'll read out of this, which is it's just really funny. To my college friend, Rachel, for missing your Zoom wedding. I know I told you my internet was down. The truth is I was rewatching normal people. <laughs> so I'll link that in the show notes, but um, oh, what a wild and crazy. What's the opposite of precedented, John? I don't know the word. Yeah, I haven't heard that word at all this year. I don't know. I don't know. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway, yeah. you know what? What a great episode. I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to get my energy up for this, but I think we did okay. Agreed. Awesome. Well, to all of you out there listening, take care of yourselves. Hug a friend, family member, dog, also safely, like in double. Jesus, I shouldn't be recommending hugging during a pandemic. John, you take us out. Clearly, I can't be trusted. Bump elbows, wear a mask, stay safe. Awesome. Until we hot dog again. Bye, everybody.